Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at Fightful.com. Here with a name you know. Where, where don't you know him from? Maybe, maybe a little thing called the Olympics, which are happening uh, pretty soon. Probably maybe even by now, by the time you're, you're watching this, WWE, Impact Wrestling, all over the world. We got Kurt Angle. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you. I, I listen to, to your, your podcast uh, every single week. Even, even try your, your nutrition line as well. Like You've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Yeah, I'm pretty busy, especially having six kids. So oh my <laughs> that's, that's when I'm most busy is driving them around, getting them to places, getting them to school, therapy, sports. It's, it's crazy. So, Being I mean, a dad I, is incredible. So I know in your podcast, you talk about specific topics, a lot of, a lot of things like that. I want to try to ask you a variety of things. Maybe you haven't been asked a hundred times, hopefully, hopefully. Okay. And I mean, you've, you've done so much and I even saw your, your tweet today, the, the Conor McGregor tweet, which cracked me up and you mentioned breaking your neck as an Olympic wrestler. How did that affect you in the long run with things that you had worked so long on, like bridging and stuff like that? Like, did that, how did that compound things for you in your pro wrestling career? Because that, that's something that a lot of people don't even, that, that maybe have never done it, don't realize is a big part of your life for a long time. Well, you know, I damaged my neck in the Olympics right before the Olympics. But when I went to WWE, my neck was still damaged. I mean, they're, they're, you know, once you break your neck, it's, you know, it's not going to be 100% forever. It's just the way it is. And I kept getting injured over and over again in WWE. I broke my neck four more times between, between 2003 and 2006. And that, that had a lot to do with... Um, you know, the, the injury that started off with, that I started off with. So it just kept, uh, you know, it just kept happening over and over again. When you moved to TNA and you worked in that six-sided ring, how did that feel for you physically? Because everybody that I talk to talk about how much harder it is, how the ropes are tighter, how the angles are a little bit different. Well, the ring's smaller and it's six sides. It's really hard to adapt to, especially if you're wrestling in a four-corner ring. Uh, it was, it was difficult. It took me a few months to adapt to it, but eventually I got it. I actually liked it better. It's a, really? it's a faster moving pace. Yeah. The matches, uh, uh, are, are a lot faster. They, they go, you know, you're, you're flying off the ropes and before you know it, the guy's right there. So it's, it's, uh, it's a lot different than a four-sided ring. 
how would you compare that to even like Japan? You see stiffer rings, but they're WWE like size. There's a lot of them are 20 by 20s and WWE. We hear maybe a little bit softer, but still a giant ring. And then you've got the smaller ring of, of impact wrestling TNA. Yeah, it's a lot different. Uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's a lot slower moving in WWE and in, in Japan, but you know, in TNA, it, the the matches it, it goes a lot faster you know the, the guy's right in your face before you know it so you have to react a lot quicker now one of the the more famous stories behind the scenes was you and brock having your your grappling match so to speak we, we've heard you talk about that did anybody else test you was anybody else like even even whether it was friendly competitive was anybody like i just want to see how i can hold up with an olympic gold medalist Nobody ever tested me. The only one was that was Brock. He was the only one. And after that, nobody wanted to test me. So, uh, you know, the, I actually um, did really well with Brock. And uh, I was very happy with my performance that day. So, uh, you know, it was just uh, one of those things where Brock asked me, uh, you know, I asked Brock. Uh, actually, somebody went to Brock and said, how do you think you would do against Kurt Angle? He said, well, he's way too small. I, I crush him. And that person came to me. It was a Brooklyn brawler. And he said, listen, Brock said he would crush you because you're a lot smaller. So I, I went to Brock and confronted him and said, hey, how do you think you would do against me? He said, I think I would beat you. I said, well, let's go right now. He said, I, I can't. I'm wearing uh, sandals. I said, let's do it in our bare feet. <laughs> let's do it old school. And uh, he said no. Uh, so the following week, we set him up. We had him get in the ring with Big Show. Big Show actually wrestled him in the ring for real. And Brock was throwing Big Show around. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know, Big Show had weighed about 520 at the time. Yeah. And Brock's picking him up and slamming him. I'm going, oh, my gosh, this guy's a beast. I don't know if I should get in there with him. So uh, when Big Show was facing me and Brock's back was to me, I was outside the ring. And I told Big Show, leave the ring. And he, he said, okay. And he turned around, walked away. And I walked up to Brock and tapped him on the shoulder. And I said, let's go right now. <laughs> and he didn't have a choice. He had to do it. Everybody was there watching and there was no way he was going to back down. So there was also a story that Mark Henry told about being at the 96 Olympics. He said that the wrestlers and the lifters had like adjacent weight rooms and the wrestlers wanted to test Kurt's strength. Uh, I think is what he said. So they got Mark taught him to put a hold on angle and you still broke it. Is that true? Uh, that is true. Yeah. Mark Henry is the strongest man in the world though. Uh, but there are little tricks you can do in amateur wrestling to get out of the yeah. hole. So, you know, the experience I had, Mark didn't have any experience in amateur wrestling. So he was just a big, strong guy. Didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> there are so many little things like just sitting out that some people have never, never experienced. And they're like, Oh, well that's simple for an amateur wrestler. And, we often hear about Vince McMahon trying to shoot doubles or singles. Bobby Lashley told me that Vince likes to come up and pummel underhooks on him. Did he ever do it to you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you didn't hear about the plane ride from hell. So, yeah. But I mean, like, was that the only time or was, were, was were the there like time. many more? No, Vince, Vince will only try once. If he doesn't succeed, he's not going to try again. So, you know, I, Vince is one of those guys that wants to feel what it's like to be uh, up against an Olympic gold medalist or, or a, a world champion boxer. 
he wants to feel that knockout. He wants to feel getting slammed. He, he's crazy. He, the guy just, uh, he always tests himself and he wants to test himself against the best. If, if Mike, if Mike Tyson was there, Vince would say, Hey, let's, let's, let's go one round. And, and Vince would do it. He really would. And he would want to know how it feels to get knocked out by Mike Tyson. That's just how Vince is. See, that's what I wondered about other wrestlers. I wondered if anybody, just out of morbid curiosity, was like, I wonder how long it would take Kurt Angle to pin them. Because, obviously, it'd be an inevitability. Gold medalist versus almost any level of of experience. is That's too much to overcome. I always wondered, like, if anybody else has ever had that morbid curiosity, if I wonder how long it would take him. I wouldn't take me long to finish them off <laughs> but you know if you know someone like charlie haas or Shelton benjamin would take me a while so because uh, those guys are experienced wrestlers so it, when you're in the mm-hmm. ring obviously a lot of times you all are calling stuff in the ring you all don't plan stuff especially if you have amateur backgrounds and you know where to go from there and you know how to chain in and out and you know the natural transition was there anybody that either one surprised you and you're like, wow, they can, they can go a bit or you thought, man, they could probably succeed at a much higher level than what they did in the amateur ranks. Uh, not that I, uh, maybe Chris Benoit, he, he was, uh, he was a very intense individual. He had a good little background, uh, not really amateur wrestling, but he had an understanding of it. He was able to float with me and, and do, different moves, move sets and stuff uh, that, that I w- was really surprised because he'd never wrestled an amateur match in his life. But I think he would be an ex- incredible amateur wrestler if he would have done it. And on the other side of things, I, do you still follow amateur wrestling? Are you are you pretty well out of that now? Are you following Olympic wrestling? I, I follow it a little bit. I, I you know, I watched the U.S. Open, the NCAAs. Uh, Iowa won the NCAAs this year. They beat Penn State and uh, you know, uh, Jordan Burroughs got upset in the Olympic trials yeah. by Cal Dake. Cal Dake's an excellent wrestler, though. But um, I, I keep tabs on it. And they have their they have their best team by far ever in history. Their amateur wrestling team this year, uh, especially their freestyle team. They're going to do incredibly well. I think that every wrestler in every weight class will probably medal, which has never happened before. Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. So, so that kind of leads me to the other end. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details of the spectrum is there anybody that you see now gable stevenson's a slam dunk i mean he, he did an interview with me told me he will be in wdb one day either today or in the past that you think 
or maybe were surprised didn't transition to pro wrestling. Helen Morales is one that I look at, and I was like, my gosh, she's money in MMA or pro wrestling if she wants to be. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I never really thought about that. that that's a tough question. I, I don't know who would parlay into pro wrestling. It, it's very difficult. You know, going from amateur wrestling to pro wrestling is the, the worst thing you could do. It's just uh, really difficult to understand because, um, you know, you, 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 uh, you show no emotion in amateur wrestling. In pro wrestling, you want to show every emotion that you have. You want to connect with the fans. In amateur wrestling, um, you, you want to take them down and pin them as quickly as possible. In pro wrestling, you have to tell a story. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot different. You have to adapt to it. And it takes a little bit of time. You're not going to do it at first. A lot of amateur wrestlers tried in the past and they haven't succeeded uh, that well. But, you know, when I came in, I, I succeeded. Brock succeeded. Swagger, Jack Swagger, Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, Chad Gable. So I, I think that I opened a, a lot of doors for the amateur wrestlers to come through that give them a future beyond amateur wrestling besides MMA. So we often hear that, like, you're one of the, the people that picked it up the quickest of all time. And, I think that anybody that sees you in the ring can tell that that was going to be the case. But from the personality standpoint that you mentioned, the emotion, like your comedy timing, at what point did you realize, oh, I've got this comedy timing down really well, and I can pull this off just as well as anybody, too? I actually didn't know. (laughs) You know, I I just did what I was told. The writers were incredible, and they, they, um, they had incredible chemistry with my personality and I didn't know I could be funny I I never had a funny personality I just laid it on the line every night and did whatever they told me to do and I went over the top with it and I worked out extremely well I I I never expected myself to be a comedy wrestler but you know in in certain ways I was and uh, you know at one point Vince McMahon said okay you need to stop with the comedy because we need these fans to take you more seriously and we're going to turn you into the wrestling machine. And that's when the comedy ended. And that's when the wrestling machine began. I think it's one of those unique forms of intimidation in that this guy who can be very funny and goofy can also do literally anything he wants to. He can tear your head off if he wants to. <laughs> I think there's something uniquely like appealing about that. And if you were to make like a list of the 20 funniest moments between like 99 and 06, you've probably got half of them. I think because of that, because I think for a while people didn't expect that of you. Did did like did you see anybody that was surprised backstage? Was like Vince or Bruce or anybody like, wow, he's he's pulling this off and he's doing it really well. Well, n- nobody really said anything to me, but I knew just by, by the fans' responses. And you know, when I go backstage and, and somebody say great promo, you know, yeah. uh, no one really said you are funny as hell or anything like that. But, um, I knew, I knew that I had the fans that was connecting with them and that the, the, the comedy was really, uh, occurring quite a bit. And I, I was really happy with my, um, performances. I, I didn't know I could do it, but I just laid it on the line. I just said, what the hell, let just go out there and be as goofy as you can. So let's talk about a couple of those. Did you all have to do like rehearsals for the milk truck thing? Like how, what was the preparation like for something like that where a lot of things can go wrong? Well, we, we didn't rehearse it. Uh, they, they did rehearse 
mentioned earlier in the day, they had a guy drive the milk truck in and test it to see if it would clear the Titantron and get through to the ring. And uh, other than that, we didn't rehearse it. Um, it was it was just a done deal. And, uh, you know, you when the, the show goes on, no matter what. So if it's a catastrophe, it ends up being a catastrophe. But uh, that night, it worked out extremely well. I was re- very happy with it. Then, of course, you had the, the hilarious Shawn Michaels song after you had beaten Marty Jannetty. Who who worked <laughs> Sexy with... Kurt. Oh God, it was it was so perfect. Who did you work with directly on the Sexy Kurt song and, and, and promo? Brian Gewurz. He was my writer in WWE. I think he was the best writer in the history of the business. Actually, Dwayne The Rock Johnson hired him yep. to be a writer for his production company, and that was a very smart move. Brian was incredibly talented. And he, he was kind of a nerd, too. So he liked to do nerdy stuff and he liked me to do nerdy stuff. So, uh, you know, this comedy stuff, you know, goofball nerd Kurt Angle, who drinks his milk and doesn't swear, uh, was right up his alley. And I think that's why we had great chemistry. Now, I, I know that I had heard you put over Brian Gewert so many times. How would you compare the writing process then to your last run in WWE? Because... I mean, I, I speak to a lot of WWE wrestlers who are, who are creatively frustrated and even ones that were around then that are like, it's not the same now. Uh, it's not the same. I, I think the character development was a lot stronger back in the early 2000s and 1990s, 1980s. We, we were able to connect with the fans a lot better. And now uh, they don't really connect with fans. There are some characters, but for the most part, Today is about performance. It's about what you can do in the ring, how good you are. It's about high-flying stunts and, uh, you know, acrobatic stuff. And these guys are incredible athletes today. But it's changed quite a bit. And I think the reason is, you know, back then it was more R-rated. You know, it was more for adults. And uh, the content was for adults. Now it's PG-rated. And they they, uh, market toward kids. And they don't want a lot of this... I guess, uh, uh, you know, comedy that uh, uh, might be adult-oriented wouldn't really connect with the young audience. And they're a publicly traded company now, so there are certain things they can do and certain things they can't. And they can't duplicate the Attitude Era anymore. Did you ever get heat from anybody, like, in your neighborhood that may have not realized (laughs) that what you were doing on TV was scripted and, and you're portraying something. Did you ever get anybody that's like, Kurt, what, what's going on? Is everything okay? <laughs> no, nobody ever walked up to me and said that, but people have driven by and said, Kurt, you're an a-hole, you know, yelling at me. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so uh, the, a lot, I, the crazy thing is half the fans uh, enjoyed my comedy and the other fans, half the fans hated it. They absolutely hated me, and 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 I actually like that. You know, having a uh, good chemistry with the fans, uh, half of the fans, and not so good chemistry with the other half. Um, it, it's not a bad thing as long as they care. As if they if they love you or hate you, you're doing your job. But if they don't care at all, then you're not doing your job. Uh, we've heard you talk about Vince and and writers and things like that. Kevin Dunn is another person who is in influence in WWE and has been for a long time. Very valuable. Did you work with him much, and, and what was your relationship like? 
Evan was great to work with. Uh, he pretty much ran the show. That's that's what he does. I think he's the head producer of the show and the director. And he, he does an incredible job. He, he, he has his hands full all the time. I mean, this guy is, is a machine. He works so hard every day, every night, 24 hours a day. Um, I worked with him quite a bit, and I enjoyed working with him. He's a great guy. So, like, did you specifically work with him on vignettes, or was it production? How, how did that work? Uh, production, usually, like, uh, promo pieces where they would uh, put together a story of my return from my injury when I had the neck injury. Uh, you know, Kevin would have his guys put together stuff and, and then present it to me. Kevin would present it to me and tell me if I liked it or not. And uh, that's uh, most of the stuff that I did with Kevin. Kevin wasn't a writer, so I didn't work with him from a creative standpoint. But from a production standpoint, I did. I'm always so fascinated to hear about Royal Rumble matches, what went into those, and and like how they come about. You were a part of one that I haven't heard many people talk about. It was a Royal Rumble on SmackDown in 04. It was after Benoit had won, so... The idea was, well, we'll put the 15 SmackDown guys in a Royal Rumble. Came down to you and Eddie Guerrero. So, I mean, you were a part of multiple, like, you were part of this Royal Rumble, like, just days after on TV. Do you remember how, like, how that was to put together and how it differed from maybe the pay-per-view Rumbles that you were a part of? Well, the one on TV was a lot less organized. Uh, you know, the the pay-per-view one, they, they want to make sure they nail it. And it has to be perfect. Uh, you know, the timing and when guys exit the ring and, you know, when they come into the ring, uh, it's it, there's a lot of uh, timing issues that you have to make sure you're dead on with. But the, the one on SmackDown, we had a little more leeway. We could, you know, it was a it was a pre, pre-recorded show. So... If, if someone messed up, we could edit it. So it, it was a little bit different than the regular Royal Rumble matches. So you were in, I think it was two Royal Rumble matches in like, what, two or three days at that point? Because the pay-per-view was just a couple days yeah. before that. And well, the Royal Rumble matches aren't that difficult. Uh, you know, they you, you do your spots and uh, you pretty much just hang out in the ring and try to chop wood for a while. And, you know, you wait for the next guy to come in to do his little... Uh, come back on everybody and then things calm down a little bit. Then somebody gets thrown out of the ring. Then another guy comes uh, down the aisle. They get in the ring, you give them their shine. Uh, so it's, it's a continuous process throughout the whole match. It's pretty easy psychology. You just have to know when you're, when you're supposed to be feeding the individual and when you're supposed to throw the individual over the top rope. A fun fact on that. Benoit lasted one hour, one minute. But combined with the two rumbles that you did that week, you lasted like one hour, two minutes, one hour, three minutes. So you spent over an hour in Royal Rumble <laughs> so matches. I did more. That week. And uh, in, in the actual Rumble match, you were the guy that eliminated Bill Goldberg. And we had heard at that point he was creatively frustrated. He was heading towards his match with Brock. How was he to work with there and, and in that spot? Well, I, I didn't work with him much. I mean, all I did was snuck up behind him and threw him over the top rope. So it, it wasn't that difficult. Uh, sorry, Bill. I didn't mean that you were hard to throw over the top rope, but it, it was an easy spot to do. It's just 
I just had to show up from over the top rope and continue on. <laughs> Do you have any other fond Royal Rumble memories? Because you were in several of them. I mean, you were in one in your last run in WWE. I know you did one in Saudi Arabia. Of course, you you were one of the, the primary names in so many of these these matches that fans love so much. I, I distinctly remember the Royal Rumble when it was ended up with Triple H and myself at the end oh, of the yeah. match. And uh, that, that was a very special uh, Royal Rumble. I think Triple H just came back from injury, I believe. Yes. And uh, so it, it, was, uh, it was a good time. And, and Triple H picked me to be the one, to be the final one to, to uh, throw over the top rope. And I thought that was a great compliment. So, um, you know, it, it was his night to shine. It wasn't mine, unfortunately. I never won a Royal Rumble. I wish I did. It's the one thing that I wanted to do to put a feather in my cap in my career, but it just never happened. I also am always interested to hear about the WWE draft and like what you know going into them. Because I know there are times where wrestlers know where they're going, what they're going to be doing. And there's other times that WWE keeps it a closely guarded secret. Can you remember any specific times that you moved and you knew well ahead of time or maybe you didn't know at all where you were going in the WWE draft? I didn't know on any of the drafts. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. I wasn't told anything. It was just a surprise. You know, you're sitting there waiting and uh, your name comes up. I think I, I think I uh, got drafted in the first round for ECW and the second round for SmackDown. And uh, I didn't know beforehand that I was, it was a surprise. So how did like people react to that? Were they like hot over it or were they just like, it's business. That's the way they do it. Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know how the fans reacted to well, it. Well, I, I meant the wrestlers you know, specifically, like you guys. Who, oh, the wrestlers? Who, I mean, your careers are at stake here. Right, but, but you know what? You're doing your job. It doesn't matter where you go. You're going to continue to do it, whether it's WCW, WWE, ECW. doesn't really matter. As long as you're working and you're making a paycheck, that's all you care about. So uh, we, I know that we almost saw you make a transition to MMA for a while. I remember it would, it would be teased, and I would always hear like news articles and stuff about it, and I was, I was stoked for it. How serious did the talks get for a potential move to MMA or the UFC when, when that opportunity arose? It got pretty serious in 2006 after I left WWE. I flew out to meet with Dana White. He offered me a contract. It was a really good contract. And uh, at that time, I just signed with TNA and I didn't want to ruffle the feathers by telling TNA, listen, I'm going to go MMA because Dana White, when I told him I signed with TNA, he said, well, you can't do both. You have to do one or the other. You can't do both. I said, well, I'm going part time in TNA. I can do both. He said, I can't have you do both. I need you full time. And uh, so I had this side and I already signed with TNA. So it was like. Oh, well, I, I, you know, I might, I might as well continue. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking I broke my neck five times yeah. already. And, uh, I know, I know my strength isn't a hundred percent, my upper body strength. I lost about 40% strength in my arms, my shoulders. Uh, you know, I had trouble with, uh, motor skills in my fingers. So my, my neck was, uh, probably the reason why I didn't follow through with MMA. I did in 2010, I went back to Dana and uh, he offered me another contract. But uh, when I sat home and thought about it, you know, at that point, I was 40 years old. And, 
uh, I knew that my body wasn't, uh, wasn't going to hold up for MMA. So I, I turned down the contract again. Unfortunately, I feel bad for a guy, you know, going out and seeing Dana White again, but, um, you know, he invited me out again and uh, offered me another deal. And I actually turned it down, unfortunately, but I think I made the right move. Another match I've always been fascinated with and wanted to hear more about a 2007 match that you had with Brock Lesnar. And there were, there were a lot of politics at play there because Brock Lesnar had been IWGP champion, but left new Japan at that point. And this was a way to kind of get the title back over towards new Japan. I believe what, how, how did that all come about? How did the, the politics play in there? What was your relationship with Brock like at that point? I had a good relationship with Brock. He actually told New Japan uh, that uh, he wasn't going to lose to anybody over there. If they wanted him to do a job, they would have to bring in Kurt Angle. And that, that's what I was told. And so, uh, you know, I decided to do it because, you know, Brock wanted me to. And I'm a good friend of his. And there's no shame in beating Brock Lesnar for a world title. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I went ahead and did it. And it actually gave me more business over in New Japan. I started doing matches, defending the title. Um, I wrestled Yuji Nagata, which was an awesome match. Nakamura, Tanahashi. Uh, I lost the title, I think, to Nakamura. Yes, so, um, you know, they went with him. Uh, he was their future, and I com completely understood it. But I was a transitional champion. I was trying. I was there to get the title off of Brock and hand it over to Nakamura. I always liked the way that, like, I think they did the IGF title a couple years later that was kind of related to that, where the title might be defended in a real fight or a wrestling match. I thought that was a, such a wild, interesting concept that, that nobody had really thought of, especially with that style over there. Yeah, it's a very stiff style, and, uh, you know, they, they do a lot of work shoots over there, mm -hmm. so they kind of mix it up and... Uh, it, it goes extremely well. The matches look incredible. Uh, they do a very good job with that. I like the work shoot concept. So, I mean, I assume that you, when you got over there, you were like, yeah, I like this style. This is, this is right up my alley. Yeah, it's a little stiffer, and that, that's how I am, too. <laughs> I, I, I tend to stiff individuals. I have a reputation of it, but uh, I, I like to go hard. I, that's just the way I am. So as we wrap up, has anybody tried to pull you out of retirement for a match, whether it be an independent promoter, a wrestling company? Has anybody made the effort and said, well, never say never? Well, I had uh, AEW, uh, TNA, uh, they've, they've offered, um, but I, I, I can't do it. I wish I could. Uh, my body's too banged up. I'm 52 years old. Uh, just trying to uh, live my life now and try to live it in less pain. And uh, I'm in a lot of pain right now. So uh, I'm suffering from the career that I've had, but I don't regret. So were those for one-offs or like runs or full-time deals? Uh, AEW, I think it was like a seven-match deal. Uh, okay. TNA, I think they were just going to do one match. But um, I, I just felt like, you know, my, my final matches in WWE, I, I knew that I lost a step. I wasn't the same as I was in my prime. And I, I didn't like the person I was, the, the, the performer I was. 
So if I can't perform at that level that I was in my prime, I'm not going to do it anymore. And, uh, and that, that's why I turned down the offers from AEW and TNA. So I had remembered you saying that you definitely wouldn't do that. Are you open to doing appearances for other wrestling companies like Impact Wrestling or, or AEW? I've had offers for that too, but I, I've been kind of sitting idle right now. Uh, I'm working on my uh, supplement company, Physically Fit Nutrition. We have the chicken snacks and the Snack Smart Crispy Protein Bites. And I also do the podcast. And I'm actually taking acting classes right now. Fantastic. So I want to pursue some movies, um, see how I do in that field. But uh, eventually I'll probably go back to pro wrestling and do some appearances. Love the sriracha chicken bites or the, the crispy protein <laughs> bites. Love those. I saw that I, I haven't tried the brown sugar cinnamon plant ones yet, but I want to try those. But there are so many flavors over there. You all got to check it out. Is It's a great way to snack and it not feel like a chore if you're not into that type of thing. So definitely right. check that out at physicallyfit.com. And the Kurt Angle Show uh, Kurt, I want to thank you so much for giving me so much time, being so generous. Uh, this is an interview I've wanted to do for a very long time. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Guys, until next time, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.